You may be seated. Would you uh, pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that as it is proclaimed, Lord, that you would be faithful to help us hear our prayer uh, for you to speak to our hearts, to change us, to transform you, and Lord, that we would follow you as your sheep that you have purchased with your own blood. So Lord, I pray that you would do this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Samuel, sorry, 2 Chronicles, <laughs> not that far back, 2 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And last week we looked at the building of the temple by the, of the Lord by the hand of Solomon, the son of David. We saw that this was a fulfillment of prophecies. And that this was a gift to the Lord that he would give them a wise king, a king who was interested in the wise rule of his people. And so to provide them a temple where a sacrifice for sin would be continually made. And we saw that this was because the Lord loved his people. That he would give them a king whose rule produced a temple in which a sacrifice would be made for their sin. Today, what we're going to look at is the dedication of that temple. We're going to see not only Solomon dedicating that temple, but the Lord himself dedicating that temple in such a way that his people could know that he certainly accepted those sacrifices, that he did truly forgive their sin, and so that they could come to him in confident prayer. That he could erase all reasons for them to doubt whether he heard humble temple prayers. And this is going to be sweet medicine for our own souls. For many of us struggle with prayer. We neglect prayer. Even though we know the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we have been reconciled to God. And there's many reasons why we might neglect prayer. And this is going to be good medicine for us to fuel this confidence that the Lord loves us. That he has accepted the sacrifice that the Messiah has made for us. And so he is eager to hear and respond to our prayers. So if you have your Bibles, and if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. We're going to see here in these, in these verses our first point, which is this. God's public confirmation that his eyes, ears, and heart are ever toward his temple. His public confirmation that his eyes, ears, and heart are ever toward his temple. And so we're going to read 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and we're going to read all the way through. We're going to, and we're going to, we're, we're going to pick up in verse, uh, in verse 40 of chapter 6. We're going to read all of these three chapters. We're not going to quite read them in order. We want to pick out these things that the Lord does all right, so 2 Chronicles chapter 5, 1 to 14. Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things that David his father had dedicated and stored the silver, the gold, and all the vessels in the treasuries of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel in Jerusalem, bringing up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled before the king at the feast that is in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the Ark. 
And they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim made a covering above the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are, and there they are to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, for all the priests who were present had consecrated themselves without regard to their divisions, and all the Levitical singers, Asaph, Hemam, and Jedithan, their sons and kinsmen, arrayed in fine linen with cymbals, harps, and lyres, stood east of the altar with 120 priests who were trumpeters. And, all, and it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison and praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand in minutes and to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. We'll skip here to verse 40 of chapter 6. 6 verse 40. Now, O my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your salvation, sorry, let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. And let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David, your servant. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Then all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and, sorry, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down, down in the glory of the Lord on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and give thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice, 22,000 oxen, 120,000 sheep, so that King and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their post, the Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praises by, whenever David offered praises by their ministry, opposite them the priests sounded the trumpets and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. For there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings 
because the bronze altar Solomon made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time, Solomon held the feast for seven days and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from Lebohamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel, his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David, your father, saying you shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you. In this house that I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, why has the Lord done this to his land and to his house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and brought, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, who laid, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Thus far the reading of the word. God kept his word to build a temple through the reign of David's son. In chapter 6, verse 4, Sol Solomon describes this as, he, as God accomplished this with his hand, what he had promised with his mouth, right? What God has spoken with his mouth, he then accomplishes with his hand. He said that David's son would build a temple, promise made and promise kept. Not only did the Lord fulfill this promise by actually accomplishing it, he also, he publicly confirmed it in ways that eyes and the ears of his people of Israel could witness that the temple was built. Now the question is, will God actually dwell in it? The sacrifices would be made, but God, would God actually accept them? Would God actually see this and be his people's God and forgive their sin and hear their prayer? Over and again, Solomon and the, and the writer remind us that God doesn't need a house, that the house can't contain him. 
The highest heaven, they say, cannot contain him. The question, though, his eyes and his ears and his heart. The question is his particular attention, his presence for blessing, his forgiveness. Will that be made known there? Will that be known there? Will that rest there? And of course, God doesn't need rest. What they mean is, can we count on him when we pray in this temple, when we offer sacrifices in this temple? Can we count on him? That's what God coming to rest in that place means God doesn't need rest. See, many people have thought that their prayers toward God were heard. Many people have thought that their sins were forgiven. They actually had confidence in this. But the question is whether that confidence was warranted. Not unless it's tied to the promise of God. And so here God publicly confirms when the temple was established that it was his temple and that the temple prayers could be offered with confidence that these prayers had his ear, his eye, and his heart. God did this first when he built the, temp- the, the, the tabernacle, which was the temporary, the, the predecessor to the temple, this tent temple, this tabernacle. He did this as well. He publicly confirmed, yes, I'm here in incredible, terrifying ways. The glory of God visibly rested there in a miraculous fashion. His promise that he will hear our prayers is not that we deserve it. He doesn't promise that we deserve it, so he'll do it. His promise is not that everyone has this. His promise is that he has graciously provided this to his covenant people because of his steadfast love. And he has provided a covering for their sin. That sacrifice, he's going to honor that. It's not just wishful thinking. They don't have to just hope he does. They can have faith and confidence that he will. This was shown in the burned offerings. We, we looked at this last week. An animal consumed by fire as a substitute for the people in God's judgment for their sin. See, people who do not have a sacrifice from God for their sin do not have access to his throne and they cannot pray to him. They can say words, sure, but they cannot pray to him. He will not hear them. He will not be attentive to their prayers. They will not be answered. If you do not have a sacrifice provided by God for your sin. So when the Lord responds to Solomon's sacrifice, to Solomon's dedication of the temple in these visible, miraculous ways, the filling of the temple with the glory of God in such ways that the the priest couldn't even go in, it was too difficult to be there. And then fire falling from heaven to consume the sacrifice. He's he's, He's confirming that the prayers offered in relation to this temple for the forgiveness of sins, he will hear them. The inaugural burnt offering was not just consumed with fire that was offered and kindled by the priests. No, the inaugural, the first 
burnt offering of this temple, the, the major one when it's dedicated, that was lit with fire that all Israel saw from heaven. See this in verse 3 of chapter 7. And I wonder if you noticed how the people of Israel responded when they saw fire fall from heaven. We see in verse 3 here, when all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground and the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, why would the people respond to fire falling from heaven? destroying an animal carcass? Why would they respond with rejoicing in the steadfast love of the Lord? It's because God was visibly confirming his promise that he would respond to the sacrifices offered in this temple and he would hear his people's prayers. He was confirming that as long as this temple stood and these temples, these sacrifices were being offered in faith, he was confirming that it wasn't just fire consuming these things. It wasn't just dealing with fire. The Lord's actual wrath for his people was being turned away from them and they were forgiven. The Lord did actually forgive his people. And so their prayers could be confident. Their confidence in his love could be warranted. They didn't need to have false confidence. Their sins were many, but this was God's public declaration that his mercy and his steadfast love was more. That his love was perseverant love. It was enduring love. It would not be squashed or eliminated by their sin. It would continue Beyond their sin, it would be enduring and steadfast love. And so the tent temple, the tabernacle, I don't know if you noticed, it was brought into, the elements were brought into the stone temple, the brick and mortar temple. It was brought into this and it was, it sort of subsumed and became part of it, replaced by it, a greater version of the tabernacle, now a more permanent, more glorious dwelling. And in the same way, this temple would one day be replaced by the Lord Jesus Christ, where his body was the actual temple of the Lord, the place where God would offer a sacrifice for his people's sin, and the place where he could be known, where people could have confidence that they would meet him. The Lord Jesus Christ replaced this temple with his own body. He replaced the sacrifice of these animals with his own body, sacrificed once and for all for his people. And we can have confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is the new temple because he fulfilled so many of the, the uh, prophecies of the Old Testament. No one could have done these things. Nobody had picked where they were born and who their parents were and all the events that happened around them in the world before they were born, during their life and how they would die. Nobody could do all these things. But on top of that evidence, we also have God the Father's miraculous evidence. When this temple, the Lord Jesus Christ, when this temple was being inaugurated, 
He surrounded Christ's ministry with miracle upon miracle and upon miracle. And not only that, he surrounded his death with miracles. There was miracles surrounding his death. The graves of the saints opened and they walked alive out of them. There was darkness that covered the land, an earthquake, the temple curtain ripped from top to bottom, so much so that the soldiers watching said, surely this was the Son of God. The height, though, of God's public affirmation that Jesus was the temple and that his sacrifice really did pay for the sins of his people, the most glorious miracle, the most glorious evidence that he established that that was true and that all who were in that temple, who belonged to that temple, the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ's body, that their sins were forgiven and their prayers would be heard was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ when he walked out of the grave on the third day. And he assured this even further when 50 days after his death and resurrection at Pentecost, something very similar happens to the church that happened to Solomon's temple. Fire from heaven resting on the new church, the new temple, the body of Christ, which is the church at Pentecost, surrounded by miracles. Now, now the temple is the Lord Jesus and his body, which is the church, a people of all nations who trust in his life in his death and his resurrection. What I want us to see that at the inauguration of, of Solomon's temple, just like at the inauguration of the tabernacle, God fulfilled and he made it very clear. He established it with a miracle. That the first sacrifices, the establishment of these things was very clear with miracles so that for the rest of that tabernacle's existence, for the rest of that temple's existence, people then would have to walk by faith that God would hear these prayers and that he would respond to these sacrifices. Because the sacrifices offered in Solomon's temple from that point forward were lit by human priests. The fire was not set ablaze from heaven. But the people could have confidence that it was God hearing from heaven and that their sins were atoned for. So it is with the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice and with the church's confidence in his sacrifice. That at the establishment of this temple, this ministry, it was surrounded with the glory of God in signs and wonders. But that the truth that those signs and wonders pointed to then would endure for the rest of that covenant, for the rest of that temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though they wouldn't be continually from that point forward surrounded by signs and wonders, his people could be sure that when, because that, when that sacrifice and when that temple was established of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it was surrounded by the, the Lord's testimony by signs and wonders, that from that point forward, 
God would recognize that, that his ear and his eye and his heart would be on the temple of the Lord Jesus and all who were in it. That's our confidence. Brings us to our second point, that God is eager to respond with mercy and forgiveness to humble temple prayers. And for that, we're going to shift back to verse 22 of chapter 6, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 22. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar and in this house, then hear from heaven and act as, and judge your servants, repaying the guilty and bringing, uh, by bringing this conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people of Israel are, are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead for you, with you in this place. Then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave them and to their fathers. When, rain, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin, uh, forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. When you teach them the good way and in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know. According to all his ways for you, you only know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you, give, you gave to your fa uh, our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people comes from a far country, for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all, for, to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies by whatever way you shall send them and they pray to, to you toward this city, that you have chosen in the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven and their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul to the, in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayers, their prayer and please and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. Thus far, the reading of the word. See, there were many needs which God's people might cry out to him for. 
many needs. And I wonder if you notice it didn't just have to be at the temple or in the temple. It could be if they were far away toward the temple. And the first need that we see here on the pages is the need for forgiveness. I wondered if you noticed that many of these prayers were prayers for forgiveness of sin. You see all of these different things. Calamities happen because of sin, different things. You will find yourself dealing with situations caused by your sin as Israel did. Ruined lives, disaster. Now that's not saying that all hardships are caused by sin as we're going to see later on. But Israel was judged and disciplined in this way by the Lord to bring about repentance. And in that situation, when disaster was caused by their sin, and they would have known it, it was promised to happen. Israel would, could cry out to God in the direction of the temple and have confidence that God would forgive them and restore them. His, his love is steadfast, he wanted them to know. It won't be ended by their sin. The temple will be effective, even if it's torn down, even if it's far away from them because they are exiled. His love needed to be steadfast because his people were weak and sinful. That's the first prayer that comes out here, the prayer for forgiveness. But we also see prayers for mercy. I wonder if you notice that not all disasters, not all needs and sicknesses, not all these things, these weak human experiences because of the fall into sin that we experience. We're very, very needy in this way. Not all of these were connected to sin. There's a section that explicitly says this. Being sent out to battle against a powerful army and other great needs. Humble yourself. Humble temple prayers will be effective, God says. Not because the prayers themselves are powerful. Not because their love for God was great enough. Not because the temple itself had power. But because the Lord swore an oath which flowed out of his love which is steadfast. But I think you could also see this need for repentance and humility in these prayers. If you humble yourself and repent and pray in or toward this temple, I will hear you. What, is, what does this mean? They were required to humble themselves. We, we see what this means through this passage. It means to acknowledge their guilt. It means that they can't just say, what I'm doing is fine. They say, no. I agree that this is sin and it is not good. I agree that God gets to call the shots and I am not following him right now. I agree to that. I humbly recognize his authority to call the shots in my life and that what I am doing is not according to his word. So this is not a promise that mere words spoken to the Lord in the direction of the temple would be effective. No, these words needed sincerity. They needed faith. They needed a heart that agreed with the words. It's not enough from the words to come from their lips. Their heart, the prayers had to come actually from their heart. They had to think what they were saying is, is true. There needed to be a recognition that they were guilty if there was guilt. A changed mind and heart about God and about sin. That God was delightful and that sin was repulsive. A turning from sin to God. Such prayers made in faith in the temple of God 
were right to be offered confidently. And so to our prayers can be made with confidence if they are made in faith in what God has promised in the temple we have, which is the greater temple and the greater sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. They're right to be confident. Not because we're good at praying, but confident in the Lord's promises and in his steadfast love. God would hear and he would answer for their good. For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. That brings us to our third point. And that is this, God will be faithful to hear the prayers of the son of David. There's such a focus of the son of David here. I wonder if you notice that. Of course, Solomon is, is speaking most of the time here. So he is the son of David. But there is a real focus on God's faithfulness to the promises he made to David. His faithfulness to the coming sons of David. There's instructions to the coming sons of David as they will follow in a succession, a line, a royal line of succession. And you can see this if you read this passage, you see this word, your servant, that phrase, your servant. And you recognize that when it's saying your servant, he's talking about the sons of David as they would follow one after the other after the other. There's a condition and a promise regarding the heir to the throne of David. There's a condition and a promise. If that heir of David would keep the law of God, if he would keep the covenant of God, his prayers would be heard. Not just his prayers for himself, but his prayers for the people of God would be heard. If the son of David would keep the covenant and the law of God, then his prayers for himself and also for his people would be heard. We see this if we turn here to the first 21 verses of chapter 6, which we should do right now. 2 Chronicles 6 verse 1, Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. But I have built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my to David, my father, saying, since the day that I brought out my people from the land of Egypt, I chose no city out of all the tribes of Israel in which to build a house that my name, name might be there. And I chose no man as prince of my people of Israel, but I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may dwell there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of David, my father, to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David, my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well that was in your heart. Nevertheless, it is not you who shall build the house, but your son who shall be born to you shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David, my father, and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have set the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with his people of Israel. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and it spread out and spread out his hands. Solomon made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, three cubits high, and he had it set in the court and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Oh, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven and earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart who have kept with your servant David, my father, that you have declared to him. You spoke 
with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention to their walk, to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and earth and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be open and day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of the people and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place and listen from heaven, your dwelling place when they hear and when you hear, forgive. See, the the son of David represented Israel before the Lord. The sons of David represented Israel before, before the Lord and most of them failed. Some of them did well. But by and large, it was a parade of failures of the sons of David over history. And the people who, and the people then followed their sin and disaster and judgment followed exile, destruction. But hundreds of years later, a son was born to David, to a son of David, Joseph, and his betrothed Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this son of David would be faithful in every way as the representative of Israel to God and God to the people. The Lord Jesus Christ. And so his people are all who trust in him. And his faithfulness toward God counted for them. It saves them. He died to be their sacrifice and he rose from the dead to live to be their king. And also, I want you to notice, he lives to be their king and their prayer, the one who prays for them. This was Solomon's responsibility and God promised to honor it. And every son of David after them, a responsibility to represent God to his people and the people to God and then to pray for them. God promising if that son of David was faithful to the law of God, he would hear his prayer for his people. So the Lord Jesus Christ prays for his people. Now we might have sometimes have doubt whether God hears our prayers, whether we're doing it right, whether we have enough faith. I think my heart's in the right place, but maybe it's not. We have much reason to doubt ourselves, whether we are good at praying. But I think you can agree it would be entirely foolish to doubt whether God hears Jesus' prayers. And so when we hear that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us, it is his commitment and his delight to pray for his sheep, his flock, his church, his people, his body, his bride, his temple. Judas betrayed Jesus and was totally lost. Satan wanted Judas and he got him. Peter betrayed Jesus and Satan wanted Peter. But the Lord Jesus tells us why Satan didn't get Peter. Because I prayed for him. 
Brothers and sisters, it is a sweet comfort to know that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for you. He prays for you when you were weak. He prays for you when you were sinful. He prays for you when you don't feel like you can pray for yourself. He prays and his prayers are effective. How do we know that Jesus' prayers are effective? Look at his miracles, dear brothers and sisters. Look at the catastrophes that happened at his death and turn your eyes to his resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ was raised as the Father's declaration that he hears this son of David's prayers and he prays for you. That brings us now to our fourth point. God will not only be faithful to hear the son of David's prayers for his people, but God will be faithful to hear the prayers of the citizens of the sons of David as well. Now, it would be enough, wouldn't you agree? It would be enough if the son of David's prayers, if the Lord Jesus Christ's prayers for us were effective. That would be, that would be enough. But it's not simply that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us, that we get to, we get to, we get to know that, that he prays for us and he has a good relationship with the Father and we can count on that being effective for us. It's not only that, it's sweeter than that because now we get to also know that our prayers because of him are also effective. We saw Jesus talking to his disciples about this in John chapter 16 and we'll read verse 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the, my Father will be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Do you see the, the connection here toward praying toward the temple, which is, which is the name of the Lord dwelt? And so now our prayers are in the name of Christ in the same kind of way that Israel's prayers were to be directed toward the temple. It's that same kind of thing with a focused attention on the, the promises that God made at that temple. And so too, our prayers are made in the name of Jesus. It doesn't simply mean that we say in the name of Jesus, although that's a good and great thing to do. But what it means is that confident in the prayers, eyes focused on, attention fixed on what God has promised to do at that temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14, verse 12 to 14, Jesus says this. But he says, it's not just my prayers, but also your prayers. Not just that I will pray for you, but your prayers can be effective. And Brother Roger read for us Romans chapter 8, verse 12 to 39. Now I want us to now take a fresh look at this passage, hearing these promises and that in the prayers of Solomon and God's response to these things. Here you have in, in Romans chapter 8, Jesus is our intercessor. Do you see that? The, the son of David is confident. We have confidence that he's praying for us. Did you see that? But also we have this sweet gift of the Holy Spirit. And he helps us also to pray. 
the fullness of this relationship that was meant to be pictured and promised by Solomon's temple is now in fullness because of the Lord Jesus Christ's work. He prays for us. He lives. The, the other priests, they died. Their ministry was done. They had to pass it on to somebody else. Jesus rose from the dead. He lives to be our intercessor. He lives to ever plead and pray for us. And he has sent his spirit to dwell now in our hearts to help us to pray, to move us to pray. In Romans, we read that if ever you have prayed in the name of Jesus, if ever you've prayed in confidence in the promises of Jesus, that was the Holy Spirit who did that. You see how confident and how assured we can be of this relationship that Christ has purchased for us with his blood. Not only does he pray for us, he gives us his spirit, so his spirit helps us to pray. Even we don't have the words. Even if we pray incorrectly, we have confidence that the Lord Jesus, through his spirit, perfects our prayers. He is taking care of both sides of this so that we can have confidence. This is the confidence that you have if your temple is not Solomon's temple, but the Lord Jesus Christ. If your sacrifice is not a burnt offering, but the Lord Jesus Christ. If your son of David is not Solomon, but the Lord Jesus Christ, that he prays for you. And we can have confidence that the Father will hear his prayers. And that the Holy Spirit now dwells in you to perfect and make effective your prayers because you're not very good at it, and nor am I. But you know who is? God is. And so we can rejoice that God has publicly declared and confirmed that he accepted the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, that it counted for you, your sins are covered, so that now you have access to him as father, to call on him in time of need, to be confident in your forgiveness and that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for you. And you too can pray with confidence in the Spirit's ability to pray and that Christ's work is effective for you. Because he is good and because his steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful that you have revealed to us that we do need a sacrifice. We do need a substitute to be destroyed, to be consumed, to be damned instead of us or that we will face you condemned. We're grateful that you've revealed that to us, but we are also grateful that you have provided one for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, that we have a son of David, we have a representative whose righteousness can count for us and whose death could count for us and whose life could count for us. Lord, we are grateful that, that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for us and that he makes sure that our prayers are effective. 
by giving us his spirit. So Lord, I pray that knowing this confidence, having this confidence, and being confident in your love and your eagerness to hear our prayers and to help us to pray, would you make us pray? Draw us and call us to prayer that we might delight in the relationship that Christ purchased with us, uh, purchased for us with his blood. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.